Hello, and welcome to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. I'm your host, Hugh Willard. Aging Well is a podcast for everyone in or approaching the retirement years. There's a lot to unpack here apart from the financial planning component, and we'll do just that. We'll explore new interests, priorities, and goals, and finding purpose for ourselves and in our relationships. Join me each episode as I share stories and chat with guests learning to live their best next act lives. Welcome back, everyone, to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. We are just underway with Season 2, and we are so grateful that you have joined us. Uh, We've had such uh, enjoyable, fun, and informative guests on for the first season, and we are excited and looking ahead to Season 2 and have a number of wonderful folks that are lined up, including my guest today. Today, we have Joanna Kloster. Joanna is a veteran elementary school teacher. She is an author, an animal welfare advocate, and dog mom to Cagney, who crossed over the Rainbow Bridge in 2019, and Kiwi, uh, whom uh, she, along with her husband Patrick, rescued in 2020. She has written the middle grade novel Lily Unleashed under the name J.D. Kloster, and she is the driving force behind Empty Cages Press. I mentioned Patrick, so Joanna and Patrick are married. They will be uh, tipping over 30 years this coming summer. Uh, they live in eastern North Carolina. They have been there for four years after spending a good bit of time in the frozen north up in my home state, Wisconsin. So, um Joanna, thank you so much for joining us. We have some important things to talk about today, and we appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Hugh. I'm really, really pleased to be here. And uh, speaking to a former frozen tundra native, I didn't know that. (laughs) I've spent (laughs) most of my time in the South, but I did start out in Wisconsin. So, yes. yeah. Well, we're going to roll right in. I mentioned two of your your, uh, four-legged kids, Cagney and Kiwi. Let's talk a little bit about Cagney. So she passed, uh, excuse me, he passed away in 2019. Do you have, do you have some favorite memories of Cagney that you might share with us? Oh, I have many memories of this amazing little dog uh, with the huge love. Uh, The thing, our stories revolve around the fact that he, as loving as he was to my husband and myself, he lacked confidence due to being a puppy mill rescue. So he didn't take to people that kindly. But luckily in his life, there were two homes that he felt very comfortable in. And some of the best memories were the day that I, we got to watch him actually play for the first time because he had never had that experience to do. And uh, it took quite a while. But in the, my, our friend's backyard, he got to run we would say run Cagney run we love that movie with Forrest Gump (laughs) so it was a takeoff on that and that was one of the biggest joys to see him actually be a dog because um being a puppy mill rescue he carried a lot of 
emotional baggage and trauma and he he didn't act the way other dogs did and that was hard to see because usually you think of a dog and they're tongue wagging and happy to see you uh and they're tail wagging but hags wouldn't be coming up to you like that he'd be barking uh, that was but but it was uh the quiet moments or at home his little antics he had quite the personality that he let out with patrick uh, in our home so uh yeah it was kind of a unique situation with this little guy but he brought such joy to us yeah and of course we you mentioned the puppy mill um situation that the cagney came out of and how traumatic that is and we're going to talk a lot more about that today uh, but before we move into some of that, you now have, uh, and this is my word, I don't know if you would use this word, but I'm going to say Princess Kiwi. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm just going off of pictures. So, and of course, she is your your sweet little girl. She looks very sweet. Um, so tell us a little bit about Kiwi and, and include in that, please. I understand that maybe she's in process to, or at least orienting towards being a therapy dog. Well, yeah, that would be the goal. Kiwi came to us from another very challenging situation. She was a rescue from a, a person who was a backyard breeder and a, and a, and a hoarder. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, she came from a challenging situation uh, and didn't was, was unsocialized. So uh, from a dog that had no voice when we first got her and never let a sound out to now when we come home, she has many voices and she she barks in many kinds of voices. She is uh, extremely loving and very agile. We're learning a lot about the breed of uh, papillons. I did not know anything about them. They're quite high jumpers as if she has springs in her legs. She is uh, much more welcoming than, than CAG's situation, which is really nice. That's why I have hopes that she'll be able to become a therapy dog Work, I have a friend who does this and she goes into hospitals and it is a beautiful experience. And Kiwi will allow people to pet her and touch her. She is a little reticent, but um, I think there's hope there for that. But she is a dog that is become, let her mind be known now. She certainly lets us know what's on her mind. How long have you had Kiwi? You, uh, we've had Kiwi, we got her in- uh, 2020. Yes, in September. We've September. had her a little over two years, right? Two years. Okay. Okay. And what I do is I do a lot of socialization with friends who have other small dogs. We and we leave her there, or we go there for play dates. So we've been having lots of play dates or puppy play dates, and that's been working out well. That is a wonderful story to come. You know, we, I think it's it's fair to call this a redemption story to come out of these hard backgrounds and to come to this place and to be in a loving family, and to have opportunity to just flourish and grow and heal. Right. Yes, that is the and that's the beauty that you get to see a dog uh, blossom. These dogs that have come from some very challenging backgrounds that they don't hold that. As Lily says in her book, they don't hold it against us. They uh, let the past be the past and they open their hearts. Thank goodness. So you mentioned Lily and the book. Why don't we talk a little bit more? What? Uh, so I have some of a sense, but maybe you can take us further into how the book came to be what compelled you to write lily unleashed okay uh yeah interesting because i had not planned on this but uh as a classroom teacher part of my job is to model writing for my students during writers workshop well writers write what they know so i started writing and chronicling 
Cagney, life with Cagney and the, the, the behaviors that he was starting to manifest, his separation anxiety, his, uh, his really extreme territorial barking. And in writing about Cagney, we would talk about Cagney and where he came from. And the children had so many questions. Mrs. Kloster, why would they lock dogs in cages all day? Mrs. Kloster, that's so cruel. I don't understand. Why would they do that? So I searched for a book that would help the kids understand, and I couldn't find any. I found one that had a little reference to uh, a puppy mill. And I decided, well, uh, my BA was in communications, and I hadn't really gone that route. I uh, Strictly communications, I became a teacher. But I've always loved uh, writing for myself. So I decided that I was going to try my hand at writing a book. It started off as a picture book. And I went to a, a, a convention with the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, a national or international group I joined. And in sharing it with a, a professional writer there, she said, I love your idea, but I really think this would be better as a novel. What do you think about that? And I said, I hadn't thought about that, but uh, you know, I understand why you're saying that is a lot that I'm trying to put in. And so that was where the novel aspect came in. And I started writing and researching 10 years ago. The story has taken me 10 years of, of research and revising and critiquing to get it to be what I needed it to be. And uh, that's how that happened. <laughs> so I'm going to use the phrase labor of love and understanding that it comes out of really difficult circumstances, but there's a, I hear the passion. Oh, absolutely. It really was because Cagney would sit at my feet as I was writing. It was almost as if he was channeling uh, what I needed to put in. And it's amazing how when we moved here, he was able to be with us for one year while, and I was at the end of my book, the tail end of finalizing it. And thanks to Cagney sitting at my feet, I added some parts that were nowhere in my mind up in Wisconsin when I was writing it, it's as if I, and I needed these pieces, but Cagney was with me every step of the way as I wrote this book. It really, it's his story fictionalized. Sure, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. Well, um, can you share more about uh, the book itself? What happens uh, w without any uh, spoilers, you know, but uh, what can you tell us about the book? Right, and what the book is about, uh, it's about a young girl who, like she has a really good heart, but she's she's another low confidence kid. She's kind of gangly and she's been picked on for being, you know, in middle school can be really challenging. It's a time when boys are a lot shorter than the girls who shoot up. So she has a low confidence and she has a uh, and she's an animal lover. She has a dog in her life. She is a, a, a true dog lover and uh, somehow learns about a situation with her teacher who she loves her English teacher, because Lily does like to write. There's some actual things that that part of me is in this book, too. The, I, I could see a little bit of that, and I'm sure writers do that. They put bits of themselves. And so uh, the, the challenging part was Lily hates to see a dog in trouble, and that's when she hears about her teacher's dog. And it, the door is opened, and she walks through, not knowing how she's going to help it, and that's how the story unfolds. She also has some issues of friendship, a broken friendship with a dear best friend, and uh, and also learning about friendships that existed before her memory can recall it with uh, some older people in her life. Uh, so there's a lot of, it's a coming of age story where she finds her voice and in doing so learns more about herself and how to be in the world as well. 
I thought that's what took me so long. And it unfolded like a, like an onion peeling away over the years as I wrote it and put it away and pulled it out again. I was able to see and put more into it. That was such a joy as a writer getting lost in your, that world when you're at the computer uh, writing. And I know some people do it by hand, but that was, that was the journey that I was on as well, as well as Lily. It was amazing. Yeah, it's it can be so so very rewarding. So uh, before we talk about some of your advocacy work, um, so you, you clearly have this writing for passion. Uh, are there other ideas that may be percolating for you for more writing in the time ahead? Well, uh, funny you should ask that. I am actually thinking of a sequel. There are other issues that Lily and Renzo can work on, and one of them is the neutering and spaying aspect. I'm learning as someone living in the South now, there's a large problem with people not being able, uh, money is a big object, but there are things out there like mobile units, because so many dogs, they're uh, shuttled up to the North from the South to be put into rescues up there because we're so overloaded down here. Uh, so maybe there's a sequel in, in this saga of, of Lily Unleashed. I'll have to think of what else that could be uh, in terms of another title. But yeah, I've been really thinking about that. Okay. Well, let's let's pivot a moment here and talk a little bit about your advocacy work, because and, and I, I would say part of your advocacy work is your writing, of course, with Lily Unleashed and how you can use that book as a as a vehicle uh, to to get to spread the word and to certainly educate and help folks understand more about puppy mills and what happens uh, in those awful situations. So you're involved with a few different things. Um, one would be bailing out Benji. That's a, a group that I have not heard of, and I would imagine a number of folks have not. And of course, the Humane Society, which I think many of us have heard of. What can you tell us about your advocacy work? Maybe some uh, uh, a little bit more about these groups that you're involved with and, and what your roles are with them. Absolutely. And how I came to them was through the research. I was, you know, luckily they have websites that are full of information. So as I'm writing my book, I want to be as accurate as I can when I'm describing something. So I would read uh, after reading through, I had some questions and I contacted them and uh, bailing out Benji was the first group. This is an amazing story. It stems from a young woman of 21 who got a puppy from a pet store that had lots of issues and problems. And she learned about where the puppy came from. Where do pet stores get their puppies? And that is what opened her eyes and started her advocacy. She started protesting in front of her uh, pro, uh, a store, a pet store in Ames, Iowa. She's a, a Midwestern gal. And she started gathering people and friends who wanted to do the same and speak up for these dogs when she learned the conditions and how they were allowed. So she has grown this from a one person grassroots organization to now having chapters all across the country. So I got into working with them and uh, was actually manning a table in my town. Uh, and I remember the sheriff stopped by one day. It was wonderful. And, and shared I shared with him what I was doing. So that there's, their work is all about advocacy, having their volunteers be out manning a table with their literature, talking about what a puppy mill is, what about the link between puppy mills and pet stores, and uh, feeding that link and how we don't have to do that when there's so many wonderful dogs at shelters and rescues. Then another group that I got linked up with, I started reading also about the Humane Society. And, uh, oh, the, uh, the head of bailing out Benji, uh, Mindy Callison, turned me on to a... Uh, 
a beautiful event called the Puppy Mill Boot Camp that I went to online and participated in. I learned so much. And then at the end of it, I was able to partake in a Zoom where I got hooked up with the Humane Society folks. Then I started working with them and I and I spoke to the director of the end of the puppy mill campaign, uh, John Goodwin. And so we've been corresponding uh, and they work together. In fact, this summer I was at Washington DC at the Humane Society's uh, TAFA conference, which stands for Taking Action for Animals. And Mindy Callison from Bailing Out Benji was there doing a combined seminar with John Goodwin of the Humane Society. So they were in unison on this. And it was, oh, it was amazingly powerful what I learned, what they're doing. Uh, so I learned also to lobby. I learned uh, about politicians and uh, how to work with them to help them understand why they should speak up for the animals and how it affects our communities. Because it really is not just animals in isolation. These situations where animals are being treated inhumanely are affecting people, humanity. And sometimes I don't think the politicians have the whole story. So our people like me, that's our job to communicate with them uh, through either email or however we can do it, letters to let them know why this is an important topic and why we, you should be co-sponsoring this bill. Wonderful. And, and as you describe, um, you said Mindy is her yeah, name? Mindy Callison. Callison. Uh, I'm thinking back to one of the shows we had in season one with a gentleman, Tuck Kamen, and he was talking a lot about intergenerational connectivity and how different, uh, you know, different levels and, and ages and generations of folks who join together in different pursuits. And I'm, I'm certainly impressed to hear that a young person is, is taking on such a uh, a, a, a role and function of that, uh, you know, of, of passion and care and, and just something that's really important and that she's taken that by the, you know, taken that by the horns and run with it and joined with established folks. And it's, it's really yes. nice to hear that. It's beautiful uh, showing stewardship. I mean, she probably learned some stuff from the Humane Society, but what I love about the volunteers, you've got the real, these really young kids, you know, they're, they're full of passion and desire to do well. And then you've got a lot of retired people like me that are out there. So we're working together and it's beautiful yeah. blending. Yeah. And that's why I brought that into my book as well. I wanted it to be intergenerational. And there is that aspect yeah. in my book uh, with that. Yeah. You mentioned the Puppy Mill Boot Camp. Tell us more about what it, what's that? What does that involve? Okay, that was a, a, a it might be a one-time event. I'm not sure, but it was a, a grassroots or seminar workshop set up by the Humane Society with many experts in the field. And you could connect through the internet and watch their presentations wherever they were in the comfort of your own home. So you learn about lobbying, how to set something up in your community, how to do a, a peaceful and respectful protest uh, on an issue. So it's all about guiding volunteers like me in the field, how to, how to help us be the most effective in our advocacy. You mentioned a little earlier, of course, that you spent a number of years in the frozen north up in Wisconsin, and you've been in eastern North Carolina, you and Patrick, for the past four years. What brought you here? Warmer weather. <laughs> we knew that we wanted warmer weather. I, you know, when I moved, I, funny, I moved from Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is a lot warmer, although it can get cold, uh, to <clears throat> Wisconsin. And we went to visit Wisconsin in the summer when it's really nice. And my husband had been away from Wisconsin. He was in Albert. He lived in New Mexico for many years. He had forgotten how cold it was. So we, we, uh, in looking for my next teaching position, 
Well, it's funny. I was working with the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, on a Pueblo school, and I found openings up in Wisconsin. So we went up there to visit, and there were a number of openings. And uh, I just never realized that weather could become really challenging. I mean, it was so, how cold was it? It was so cold that they were closed due to the minus 50 wind chills because the children would freeze waiting for the buses. You know, I didn't realize, excuse me, that it was going to get that cold. Uh, But but I, but the best thing was I became the teacher that I wanted to become. I got such amazing training. Uh, I'm not saying anything about anywhere else I ever taught, but that was that was worth it. Uh, and then we realized it was just too cold. And it was like for eight months of the year, I couldn't do a lot of things outside that I wanted to, like biking. It's really hard to bike when it's minus 20. So, so we started looking and I remembered that I have a link to North Carolina. My aunt is from Tarboro and my favorite Aunt Lucy with her big Southern accent. I loved Aunt Lucy and I loved when she'd visit New Jersey and they ended up living in Harker's Island. And I got to visit Harker's Island when I was in the eighth grade. And I remember the water going out and they lived right on the water. It was, I'm a beach baby and I, this was a dream come true. And I remember running my hand through the water and all the illuminated sea life lit up. There was this, this, this illuminescence little sea life that was magical. So when we came to North Carolina, it was already set up that we should move here. Sure, so sure. We, we traveled across the state, went to Oriental, realized we don't have, we don't even have a boat. Why would we come to Oriental? Then we came back through New Bern and we hit downtown and it looked like a Norman Rockwell painting. Downtown New Bern is, is just gorgeous. It's this quaint little town that's all red brick. And the rest is history, as they say. (laughs) And for our listeners who are not that familiar with the North Carolina geography, this, of course, is all eastern North Carolina going down towards the coastline. So, yeah. yeah. And I I ask that because your your first exposure to and engagement with these issues around puppy mills happened in Wisconsin. And so you started there and then you carried forward. of course, now that you're in Eastern North Carolina and you're continuing your your passion, your advocacy, your work here on behalf of, of the puppies now that you have relocated to uh, Eastern North Carolina. The beauty of the Internet is that I can connect with organizations and rescues. I'm sending books out to California right now for a fundraiser. So, of course, when I asked you earlier um, if there might be more writing in the time ahead for you, Uh, From all of our conversation today, it seems abundantly clear that you are going to continue in your advocacy work. Oftentimes, I ask my guests what's ahead for them. And um, is there anything more directly that you would speak to with respect to what's uh, what might be coming for you? Well, as I said, I really am thinking hard about a sequel. Yeah, absolutely. And I am thinking about blogging more, though. Yes, I have a website, but I've been so busy. I haven't not been able to do as much blogging and writing on the topic other than sharing uh, important uh, events through my social media pages. And we are going to get all of those in the show notes. uh, And so folks can access those things. But um, you've already spoken to this in, in different ways, but anything else that you might add in the few minutes we have remaining here that would be for folks to to help support with the shutting down of puppy mills? How can they become involved? 
Oh, absolutely. Yes. The first thing is awareness. And I've learned on my educational tables when I'm out in the public, far too many people do not realize what's behind that cute little face in the window of a pet store. And the problem is they are told when they go to a pet store that they're all they, these dogs all come from USDA regulated kennels. And the only thing that means is that the government says it's okay to keep dogs locked in kennels. Because, and the, puppy, the pet store owners make it seem like these USDA regulated kennels are some fabulous thing. No, it's just that they gave you approval. And the other thing is uh, that the the AKC, the American Kennel Club, is also involved in this because they are giving these breeders who breed and interbreed and crossbreed these dogs, they're get, the, the AKC is still giving them certificates that say they're purebred dogs. It's as if they don't care the quality of the dog coming out. So the first thing is awareness. You must know about these dogs. And the other thing is you must know that reputable breeders will never, ever give their dogs to a pet store. They want to know where their dogs are going and they will really interview you. Unlike pet stores who just sell you, can't wait to sell you the dog and get the money. So that's the first thing you must know where they come from and don't and must ask questions. You know, can you see the parents if you go to a pet store? So that's the first thing. And share that message. That's a grassroots effort. That's the way we're going to get the message out and create a ripple effect. If you wish, you can uh, go to my website. You can learn more from that. Get my book. You can learn more. There's a lot of activities. You can write your politicians. You can email them, tell them what you think, because every person that contacts an elected official represents like 50 people. It, it really matters you, uh, when they hear from you. And we will have all the information in our show notes. But for our folks listening, can you tell us your website? Sure. My website is called mtcagespress.com emptycagespress.com. Okay. Once again, that information will be in the show notes. We will also put information about bailing out Benji and the Humane Society. So folks can find links there to be able to become more involved. And, and I also so, have a Facebook page too. The and Facebook, Facebook page. Yes. So, Which is, okay. again, it's Empty Cages Press on Facebook. Okay, great. So another opportunity for folks to, to learn more on such an important topic. Joanna Kloster, what you're doing is such important work. And again, um, that you are able to uh, engage this with your passion and your fervor and your love um, is a great model for many folks. And so we appreciate you taking some time to talk with us today. And we certainly wish you all the best with all of your endeavors in the time ahead. Thank you so much, Hugh. I really appreciate the time. You have been listening to Aging Well, Finding Beauty in the Gray. I am author, psychotherapist, and life coach, Hugh Willard. To learn more about this podcast, listen to other episodes, and discover resources related to our guests and topics, please go to our website, findingbeautyinthegray.com. If you have comments or questions, or would be interested in sharing your story with us, we'd love to hear from you please reach out to us at FindingBeautyInTheGray.com. Aging Well is produced by Willow Way Creations with sound engineering by Garrison Locke. Theme music is written and performed by yours truly with Greg McGee and Garrison Locke. Thanks everyone for joining us. We hope you will be with us again next week.